Welcome back to Bunch, Bunch of Talks, Talks in, in the Inaka. <laughs> I'm Linda. And I'm Kana. And we thank you so much for joining us in our first episode. Just want to give a shout out to all of our listeners, friends and family mostly, <laughs> who gave us great feedback. And we really appreciate all of the comments that you gave us. Yeah, one of the comments is that we laugh a lot. And I apologize because we do. Um, but this is just who we are. And I hope that you are here for our light listen. Um, for people around us, they also have to deal with the laughing. So <laughs> at least for everyone listening, it's only for 20 minutes. Um, um, yeah, so maybe we can just start with a little bit of updates from Kamikatsu. Yes, yeah, so now uh, we're talking to you about a month after our first episode. So it's springtime in Kamikatsu. And about a week ago, um, the sakura season just finished. And sakura is the cherry blossoms, and they're ubiquitous throughout Japan. It's a really great season. We have this um, tradition called hanami, which means looking at the flowers, because the sakura really lasts for a very short amount of time. And traditionally, people would place tarps underneath and have a drinking party, have picnics outside. Um, but this year, because of corona or COVID, um, people were not really able to do that in the big cities. But thankfully, we're in the countryside and there are so many sakura trees here and not so many people. And so that balance has worked in our favor. And we've had some very beautiful days in the spring looking at these beautiful flowers. Yeah, it's certainly a, a win-win to have so many abundance of beautiful trees and yeah, so few people so we can really enjoy them. And for me, like growing up, I came to Japan only in the summers. And so spring is really such an exciting time to be in Japan. I mean, April is an important month for Japanese people. It's a start of a new calendar year, a start of school and so it just feels like it's so alive not just from nature but alive from like all the activity that's happening around and yeah, that might be different for our friends from the west mm -hmm. um, I know coming from Canada our school year starts in September and so it's a little bit strange to think that it starts in April um, but it's very interesting to see how you know one year a fiscal year as well for companies everybody ends in end of March and then April is when the new year starts. So yeah, it's a it's an exciting time, very alive. Um, one other update I just wanted to share was that earlier this month we had a fundraising event for Ukraine. I, I and Linda had heard many people around Kamikatsu express kind of sympathy and wanting to do something for Ukraine, but not taking necessarily action because they didn't know how to support uh, Ukrainian people and what's happening in Ukraine right now. And so we decided to do a fundraiser at Cafe Polestar, where we're recording right now. And we decided to sell cookies. We made cookies that looked like the Ukrainian flag. And um, we had a goal to raise about 100,000 yen, Japanese yen, it's which about is about a thousand, yeah, dollars a thousand Canadian, Canadian dollars. Yeah. And uh, we surpassed that and actually raised about 1,500 Canadian dollars. So we're really proud of that effort. And um, this was really thanks to the people in Kamikatsu in less than 13 days, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were able to raise that money. And uh, we also organized an online talk inviting two Ukrainian guests to share about their experiences. And so it was very, it was a very moving event and very heartwarming to just feel the community support. Mm, absolutely. And one of the comments that a lot of, because again, you know, our population is mostly elderly. And so a lot of the people who donated were also quite elderly. And so they watch the news a lot. And so they hear about the war and 
the way that they want to contribute because they also feel, you know, that it's very lucky that Japan has peace right now. But they also remember the 2011 disaster in Japan and how so much of the world had come together to support Japan. And so I think that, you know,、um, desire to give back is also very strong. And so people also assume that in the countryside, you know, it's much less connected to the world. But it just really shows that in this day and age, we really are a global community. And so, what happens in one area will affect even the smallest reaches you know, of Japan, and that the people here also care and want to give. And so, we're really happy to give them an opportunity to do so more easily.、Um, and then also just connect them、um, through the event, the online talk, to actual Ukrainian people to hear on the ground what the things are, you know, what is happening and what it's like. Yeah, so we're really grateful for everybody's help and support in the community. And we really hope that this can、um, foster more,、uh, more care for what's going on in the global world around us. Yeah, like you said, connecting a small village to the global world, I think, is just a, a beautiful symbolism for, yeah, for, this, for working together and cooperating、um, in, in these times.、Mm. And I guess coming back to that idea of you know, city versus the countryside. So, what we get a lot is all of these conceptions or preconceptions, I should say, about what happens in a city where all of the opportunities, the culture is, and what happens in a countryside, in the countryside. And what we also you know, get a lot of is why are two Canadian girls who have Really, only grown up in cities,、uh, moved to the countryside itself. And also, what are you doing here? Right? Because I think, you know, most people don't really see opportunities as something that exists in the countryside. And so we wanted to talk a little bit today about what we are doing. Just to answer that question again for family. <laughs> I really do、friends. get that question so often. You know, it's、mm-hmm. like, first, where are you? And then the follow up question is always, well, what do you do?、Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a, there's a, A little bit of skepticism, a little bit of curiosity. And so, yeah, last episode we addressed how we got here.、Mm-hmm. And now、we'll, we want to deep dive a little bit into actually what we're doing. And so, Kana and I are co founders、um, in our business that we created called Eno. And do you want to? Talk about what, what Eno means. <laughs> sure, yeah.、Um, Eno is the local dialect called Awaben. This used to be part of the Awa kingdom. And so it's Awaben for return home, like let's go home. So at the end of the day, you're done work or you're done dinner, and then you say Eno. And so that idea of you know, using this word that's local to here and using the meaning of coming home is that we wanted to create this space where people felt at home in Kamikatsu. And I think when we both moved here, the thing that really drew us, apart from the, you know, the zero waste system that everybody knows, is more importantly the community that exists here. And how two strangers, you know, coming into a small community were so welcomed. And we know that that's not always the case in other places. And even just for, You know, the Japanese countryside as a whole, I know that it's very difficult for outsiders to try to move into the community, but we felt very lucky that we were accepted. And so we wanted to share that experience with others as well to really showcase the thing that we love so much about Kamikatsu, which is the community here. 
Mm-hmm. And so I guess what Eno is right now, I mean, it's constantly evolving. The Eno project started in July 2020. And maybe, Linda, you can share about the origins of that. Mm. So we started by having an internship program first, and it was called Try Kamikatsu. And it really started with that idea that there were so many people who wanted to come learn about zero waste, but they didn't really know how to access Kamikatsu. And so at the time, um, uh, Terumi, Azuma, and I. Terumi is the owner of Cafe Polestar. And we started this internship to allow for people to come to Kamikatsu, but to really experience it as a local. So the idea there was to really help out where there was a labor shortage, such as helping out in the cafe or helping out with farmers because there were so many people, you know, who needed help, but not enough of a labor force. And so in that way, we also wanted to introduce them to the lifestyle of Kamikatsu. But eventually, you know, we had the, well, the pandemic started in 2020. And so the borders closed and all of our visitors who were planning to join the internship program could no longer come to Kamikatsu. But we were also thinking about how we could make that into a bigger space where it wasn't just um, an internship because we were only hosting people within our own home. We wanted to create something more sustainable as a business that could allow more people to come and experience it and open up the more diverse customer base or the people that we could accept into Kamikatsu. And so that was how Ino was started. Yeah, and I think I came just at the time you planted the seed for Ino. And my background is in business and tourism. And I just felt like I could also contribute to what it was becoming. And so... Um, it was really exciting that you planted the seeds and that we grew this, like our, our little Eno baby together. <laughs> and uh, of course, with Tedumi as well. And I think having Tedumi is really important. She's that local connection and we bring the outside perspective. And so together, I think we work really well together. Mm. And building this program meant that we had this uh, flexibility to show Kamikatsu from our perspective mm. and be able to to alongside building what we thought was important and worth protecting, we got to share that with our guests and with our um, with the people who came through the program. And, and everyone who's come really has felt like family. And I think that they really do feel a sense of belonging in Kamikatsu because mm-hmm. of um, this program. And so the program started out much longer. It started out a month and then, you know, two weeks. And then now it's about 10 days. Um, and that was what we were running for the past year, individual programs mm-hmm. um, that were really tailored and customized to what the guests were looking for. And that's actually very rare in Japan as well, having any kind of uh, educational program, tourism program that is so long. It's because we, we first had the internship program, we wanted people to stay longer so that they can actually feel like they were settled in Kamikatsu. And that was actually one of the benefits of having that internship program. And so when we turned it into a, a more guest-style program, wanting to have people feel like they could, you know, call themselves a local of Kamikatsu, feel like they could, you know, know their neighbors or know the people by face and and have conversations with them. That was really important to allow people to slow down and enjoy their time here. And one of the complaints that we have about our current program is that, you know, with the people in Japan working so long, um, it's very difficult to get vacation time. And so even though people would really like to join, they find it difficult to find that 10-day of space. And so we really are also using that as kind of a 
a kind of a gap, really, to allow our guests who are in a transitional phase where they can find the time to come, because we want them to really appreciate that having that time is such an important thing in their lives. Mm-hmm. I think, like as you said, it's it's these moments of transition that we tend to catch people, mm-hmm. and because they're seeking something different than the day to day life, and a lot of our guests do come from the city or do come from Tokyo, and do need a. A really physical removal from the, their day to day lives, and so coming to Kamikatsu is also such a wonderful gift because of the environment and not just the experiences we, we facilitate. Mm-hmm. And I guess the last point, you know, talking about the transition and kind of looking at where we want to go with Eno itself. In the beginning, um, by guiding, we really felt like everybody who came was, you know, not just a guest by name, and but actually a guest like family, where we really wanted to showcase Kamikatsu from our perspective. Because again, you know, coming, I think moving into any countryside environment um, in Japan, it's not as easy as just going there and buying a house and then you can say you've moved to the countryside. So in these areas, community is so important. Uh, and if you come from there, you know, you, you can be a part of the land. But if you're an outsider and you're moving into that area, you really have to have a local connection or some kind of way to feel or to allow the locals to accept you, whether it's spending a very long time there or it's knowing somebody. And we were very lucky that we knew Terumi. And so we really want to give that gift back. And so what we call ourselves for, sorry, were you? Go ahead. And so I think for us, for Eno, we call ourselves a bridge because we do really see ourselves as as connectors. And so connecting people from the city to the countryside, connecting people from outside of Japan to inside of Japan, connecting, you know, people within this community as well. And so um, we do often use the the metaphor of a bridge and a living bridge because this, you know, it keeps on changing the kind of connections we make. Mm. And then I guess now with the transition into the next phase of what we want to do with Eno, uh, another question we get very often is kind of looking at what we want to adapt, not just in Eno, but also in our own lives as well. We know that the borders are opening or hopefully opening soon um, because we have been operating fully in a pandemic. So we've never actually been able to take in all of the inbound guests who are reaching out to us and are interested in joining us. Um, so we're not sure what will what that will look like with an influx of um, guests from, from foreign countries. But then the other problem that we're also thinking about as well is, you know, there aren't a lot of opportunities in the countryside. And so we want to create more opportunities so that people can feel like they can live, you know, in the countryside as well. So maybe we can share about some of the guests that have really touched us over the past year and a half. And during that time, you know, we've had the privilege of meeting so many amazing people. And a lot of the guests who come to Kamikatsu are, first of all, probably interested in sustainability. But more, I think they're looking for, again, that change in their life. And we're lucky enough to be able to share about the sustainability and also share more about what's available in Kamikatsu. For example, we've had artists who come um, who are glassblowers and they're looking for a way to create their art without so much waste at the end uh, and looking for different ways of sustainable art. Um, 
Also looking at people who are trying to move away from the cities and wanting to understand what a lifestyle in the countryside is actually like. And so we get to meet everyone at whatever point they're in their lives they're looking for a new change. And I think in that sense, we're able to create a community of people who are looking to find a better version of themselves. And in that, we are also in the same process ourselves. And I think that's why it's easy to connect to them through the ENO program. Mm -hmm. And having studied, you know, tourism and knowing things about mass tourism, I think that tourism can often be seen as like kind of a force for, you know, not destruction per se. Consumption. Consumption, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think that not so many in-depth experiences with local people. And so mm -hmm. highlighting that, um, creating these connections and highlighting these relationships that we build within the program, while also thinking about education from just a much more practical point of view than a classroom point of view, mm -hmm. has been really an important aspect of our, of our program. Yeah, absolutely. And as we look forward to the borders opening and seeing how Eno is going to change, you know, and grow, we're super excited and we want to carry you along with us on that journey. Um, so thank you so much for being <laughs> with us. And this time it felt like it was a bit more serious. Yeah. So a little and, less laughing, but and, we are still having fun. <laughs> and I think, you know, and as we evolve, you know, Eno evolve, evolves. Uh, we just have so many more exciting ideas and projects in the pipeline. And so we're excited to share those as they come along and invite you on the journey with us. Mm. And definitely in the future, we also want to share about our daily lives as well. So probably in the next episode, we can let people in about what it's like to live in Kamikatsu, what it's like to live in the countryside. And if anybody has any questions for us, we'd be happy to answer that too. But now, should we go into our, the <laughs> recommendations part of our podcast? Yes, let's mm -hmm. do that. Okay. Would you, oh, should we start with our um, one eco recommendation? So our climate-friendly recommendation this week is something called Hechima. And it is a gourd that is grown throughout Japan. Um, and on mainland Japan, it is dried and it is used as a sponge. And so we actually just buy the whole gourd. Um, you can get them on places like Amazon <laughs> or, you know, uh, in your local market if they have it. And you can just cut them and then use them as a sponge for washing dishes, for as a shower sponge as well. And then when it's done, you just compost it. Mm -hmm. And because most um, normal sponges that you buy in the grocery store uh, have leached microplastics every time you use it. And so it's terrible for the waters because it also goes directly into the waters. And right now we don't have a system for taking out the microplastics. And so anytime we can avoid using those plastic sponges, it is great for the waters and for us. Okay, and on to a personal recommendation. So I had one in mind, and then I read something really interesting this morning. So I'm going to bring two recommendations, but oh, I'll keep it no, brief. She did. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be something I do often, uh, but I'll try to keep it. I'll try to keep it brief. So for my original recommendation, I have been doing a lot of exchanges with people. And so I've been really into yogurt making. Um, yogurt making is also a recommendation, but it's super, super simple. And so I've been... It saves you a lot of money. It does. Um, and so I've been exchanging the yogurt I've been making with other things. And so right now I've been exchanging yogurt for tea, you know, and... Even just today, I exchanged soup that I made from carrots that I received for 
um, another vegetable. And so it's just like the more you start to exchange and the more you offer up things that you have, um, the more you get in return as well. And so I just think it's such a fruitful way to uh, kind of keep these community relationships and at the same time, you know, give what you have in abundance and receive things that other people have in abundance. So it's been Great. And uh, this morning I opened up my Guardian app to read the news and I read this really interesting, in-depth, kind of interactive article about uh, our food system and how it's not ready for climate change and it's not going to be, it's not adapting to climate change. And so it really focused on how we've kind of removed the genetic diversity of certain foods such as bananas or avocado and coffee and how these are really endangered. And I kind of dive deeper into uh, the seed bank in Norway and how they're preserving seeds. Um, but it's a really great read about um, rethinking our relationship with food and, and the diversity of these crops and how it's important to, you know, kind of continue supporting local food and thinking about uh, the diversity in our food systems. Yeah, absolutely. And based on that, there's another documentary um, called Seed, The Untold Story. And it really digs into the seed diversity that we have lost from all of these monoculture crops and how urgent that, you know, this is as a problem and how so many people don't even realize that it's a problem. And so we can we will link all of those things for you in our show notes. So if you have time, please take a read. Okay, and final thing that we just wanted to plug in. Um, oh, and sorry. My oh, your recommendation. I thought seed was recommendation. Sorry about <laughs> no, that, Linda. <laughs> um, um, so my recommendation is, well, I love running in the forest, um, but recently I've started running with a dog. And one thing I've decided is to run like a dog. So, you know, with running, I always just have a focus of going to, you know, going out on my trail and coming back. Yeah, point but, A to point B. Exactly. And running with a dog, I realized that actually there's so many interesting things along the trail. And running doesn't have to just be a straight line. You can stop and go and you'll still get to where you need to go. And it's just as much fun. Um, so and, is your recommendation a dog or is your recommendation <laughs> the run, method, like, method of yeah. running? Of course, I call both. it 360 running. <laughs> so it's not just straight. You're looking at everything around you. Do you put um, your nose in things? I mean, so on that note, um, I used to be really afraid of running with dogs in the summer because I was afraid of dogs getting ticks and then consequently me getting ticks. Um, but today, you know, I, was t I, I pet my dog's face after the run and there was a tick on my finger. And I didn't die. Unfortunately, the tick died. Um, and I realized that it's not as scary <laughs> as I originally thought it was. And that so many things you put in your head that are scary are just because you don't really have an experience with it. And that actually going out and seeing it, you might not even find yourself afraid anymore. And so, you know, now I feel much more brave to run in the summer with the dog in the forest. <laughs> All those things are recommended. I'm not sure if that was a recommendation, <laughs> if that was life advice or, or maybe all of it sandwiched into one. But yeah, go try running yes. with a dog. Yes. <laughs> And one final thing, uh, if you are interested in learning more about what's going on in Eno, we will link um, how to sign up to our newsletter. We'll be having a new, uh, our second edition will be coming out at the end of April, and it will have a lot of interesting information about what we're doing on a day-to-day, -day, and also... Yeah, just keep up to date to what we're up to. Yeah, and we really appreciated the feedback and comments. If you have any feedback or comments this time, uh, we do really think about it and we really do want to incorporate the things that you want to listen to. Yes. And so, yeah. 
leave a review <laughs> or comment. Yes. So thank you very much. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye.